congregation's work and in serving and worshiping God. What shall we say about the Lord's church? Is it really important? Does church really matter? Does it matter if a person is a part of the Lord's church or not? Can you be a Christian and not be a part of the Lord's church as far as what the scriptures teach? I know what a lot of people believe, but we're going to talk tonight about what the scriptures teach. Is it important to perpetually be an active part of the Lord's church? Is there any advantage to that at all? What does the Bible teach about these matters? We're acquainted with the idea that a lot of people will tell us that, hey, church doesn't matter. Church can't help you. Church isn't important. You don't have to be a part of the church to be saved. The church isn't going to save you. You can worship God just as easily uh, out hunting or fishing or out in nature or doing something else that you enjoy. You can do it there as well as you could worship, worshiping God being a part of the church. Some will say, well, I don't believe in organized religion. I don't believe in being a part of any kind of a church. A person's relationship with God is between them and God, and the church has nothing to do with it. What does the Bible say about these things? In tonight's study, we're going to talk about facts about the Lord's church. We're just going to look at facts that are stated in Scripture and see what we can learn by piecing all these facts together and see if they uh, collectively constitute a consistent picture of some truth about the Lord's church that will help us to understand whether or not it even matters. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, I say also unto thee that the, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So in this passage, as Christ talks to Peter and his other apostles, he speaks about this promise to build his church. And this introduces for us the subject of our study tonight, when Christ said, I will build my church, that's the church we're going to study about, the church that we read about in Scripture. So I want you to understand that when we talk about the importance of the Lord's church, the importance of being a part of the church, facts about the church, I'm not talking about some human organization or some uh, religious denomination contrived or started by men. We're talking about the church that the Lord promised to build here. The church that he referred to as the kingdom of heaven. The church that we read about in scripture. This passage introduces us to the notion that this church that the Lord promised to build is designated by different names or descriptive titles in scripture. In this particular passage, Christ refers to it as my church. And he calls it the keys, or rather the kingdom of heaven. When he talks about building the church and then giving the keys to that, he refers to that church as the kingdom of heaven. So it's called a church. It's called the kingdom. And in other places we read where it's referred to as the body. Speaking of the supremacy of Christ and his lordship over all, in Ephesians 1 verses 22 and 23, it says he hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 
Now here as he speaks about the Lord's supremacy over the church, him being the head of the church, he refers to the church as his body. Now this helps us a little bit because now we'll know that when we read in Scripture about the Lord's body or the body of Christ, we're reading about the Lord's church, the kingdom of heaven that he promised to establish in those words we read from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. And that will be important and helpful information as we study tonight because some of these facts that we're going to read from the scripture about the Lord's church are stated in passage that refer to the church as some of these alternate titles such as his body. You'll see that frequently as we proceed through our study this evening. Now let's see what we might learn about the Lord's church. What facts can we glean about the Lord's church? Number one, I want you to observe that according to the scriptures, the Lord's church is the saved. In the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, we read of the commencement of the gospel work where Peter and the rest of the apostles stood up and preached the gospel and many souls were added to the church that day. The Bible speaks of the early church there by saying that they were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What does this passage teach us as a fact about the Lord's church? Well, this passage teaches us that when someone is saved, that the Lord adds them to his church. Because the Lord was adding to the church those that were being saved. And so this shows us that the church may not be the Savior, but the church is the saved. Christ is the Savior But this passage describes the church as the body of the saved. And when someone was saved here, the Lord added them to His church. Now with that fact, with that piece of information, what kind of conclusions can we draw? Well, it's already dispelled the notion that being a part of the church isn't important with regards to our salvation. Because this passage indicates that when a person is saved, that the Lord adds that person to His church. That means that if the Lord has not yet added me to His church, then I haven't been saved. Because I gather from this passage that if I had been saved, that the Lord would have added me to His church. So, if I'm not a part of His church, that means I'm not among those who have been saved. So the notion that being a part of the church isn't important is already gone. And countless words spoken by countless people have been cast down as untrue with just one passage of Scripture. But there's much more that we can observe along beside this. Because we recognize as we read from Acts 2 and verse 47 that we're drawing tonight a conclusion that is radically different from what a lot of people sincerely believe and teach in the religious world today. And even though I believe that one passage of Scripture, one statement of truth from God is enough to dispel a thousand, yea, even a million statements from man, I recognize that since it is such a misunderstood subject, that we might do well to not allow the case to rest with just one passage. In other words, let us investigate what other scriptures say with regards to facts about the Lord's church so that I can have a better understanding if my conclusion based on Acts 2 and verse 47 is sound and biblically solid. 
As we continue to examine this topic through different scriptures and gather more facts and more information, I want to look at the additional facts and see if they suggest that my conclusion based on Acts 2 and 47 is wrong or to see if they confirm that I have in fact reached the right conclusion that is consistent with the greater body of teaching throughout the New Testament. That's my thinking on this approach here and I think you'll see that that's a fair and solid way to approach this. So we're going to look at other passages and try to put together not just one fact based on this one verse, but several facts that will cluster together to confirm the same conclusion. So let's continue our investigation. In this same context in Acts 2 and verse 41, he makes a comment about those who had gladly received the apostolic message there. It says, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now a few verses later we read where the Lord added to the church daily those that were saved. But here he talks about people being baptized. And he refers to those people as being added. I wonder if that's the same people that the Lord added to his church. Well, it sounds like it. I mean, it's just six verses later after he said those that were baptized were added, about 3,000 souls. Just six verses later, he said daily the Lord added to the church those that were being saved. That sounds like the same process to me. That sounds to me like that those who were being added by the Lord to his church were those who were being added because they were baptized. So this suggests there's some connection between those who were saved being added to the church and those who were baptized being added to the church. Is there any suggestion elsewhere in Scripture that when a person is baptized that it's at that point that the Lord adds them to his church? Well, I believe there is, in fact. We can find such a statement contained in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13. Where he said, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Now I want to ask you to please recall from the introduction of our study this evening that we observed that this church, the Lord's church that we read about in Scripture, is referred to by different names or descriptive titles. We found where the church (coughs) was referred to as the body, the body of Christ, the Lord's body, the Lord's church. And here he's talking about the body, isn't he? And what does he say about someone's admission into the body? He said it is by one spirit that they're baptized into the body. So apparently on the authority of what the Holy Spirit guided the apostles to teach... When someone was baptized, they were placed into the body. And you know, if you'll go back to Acts chapter 2, that makes a lot of sense. Because the Holy Spirit came down on the apostles in that chapter and inspired them to speak. The Bible says they spake as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what they said was not on their own authority. It was on the authority of what the Holy Spirit guided them to teach. And what did they teach? Well, Peter taught them who were remorseful for having had hand in killing the Christ to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You could read that in Acts 2 and verse 38. 
And then we read a moment ago in verse 41 <laughs> that those who gladly received the word did that. They obeyed what Peter told them to do. And they were baptized. And upon doing that, they were added about 3,000 that one day. And then as that process continued in the days to follow, the Lord added to the church daily those who gladly received the word and were obedient to it. Those who were saved. So in Acts chapter 2, we see a test case or a case in point, a specific biblical example of the truth that's stated in 1 Corinthians 2 in verse 13. That when the Spirit authorized the apostles to teach the saving message of the gospel, the people who gladly received that word and obeyed that were baptized. And when they were baptized, they were saved and the Lord added them to His church. So it's by the Spirit that they were all baptized into one body. It's under the authority of what the Spirit guided the apostles to teach. So we can recognize then that is consistent and in harmony with what we've read in these other scriptures The people who were saved were the people who were baptized. And those were the people that the Lord added to His church, the body. And so they were added to the body when they were baptized into one body. So we've learned this fact about the Lord's church, that the Lord's church is the saved. And we're beginning to find other information in other scriptures that confirms our conclusions about that. And the more we learn, the more we see tight harmony between all these passages and what they teach. Now let's consider what the Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, where we learn that the the Lord's church is blood-bought, or it's bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the apostle Peter, or excuse me, the apostle Paul addresses the elders of the Ephesian congregation when he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood." So here, as he talks about the Lord's church, the church of God, he refers to that as an institution or a body of people that has been purchased by his blood. The church is a blood-bought institution. Well, now, we've already drawn this conclusion that if you're saved, you're a part of the Lord's church. And if you're not a part of the Lord's church, then apparently you haven't been saved. And that gets some people's ire up. I understand that. So in response to that problem, let's just ask it this way. If a person wants to be saved, do they need to be bought by the blood of Jesus? Would you like to try to be saved without being purchased by his blood? I don't think I want to try that. It seems to me like that if I'm going to be saved from my sin, I'm going to have to be purchased by the blood of Christ. Well, who are those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ? This passage says it's the Lord's church. Somebody might be thinking, well, now, wait a minute. I thought it wasn't important to be a part of the Lord's church in order to be saved. I know a lot of people think that. That's not what the Bible is saying here, is it? The Bible is teaching us here that if a person wants to be a part of the blood bought, the person needs to be a part of the Lord's church. And as we continue to study, we continue to learn that this is consistent with what we read in other passages of Scripture. The Lord's church are those that are bought by the blood, the church of God, which He's purchased with His own blood. And we equate that in our minds with the idea of being saved. Is that a fair 
equation to make? Is it fair for us to say that being saved, being cleansed from sin is the same as being bought by the blood? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Let's keep gathering facts about this matter and see if we learn something that says there's a flaw in our reasoning and we're on the wrong track, or let's see if we keep learning things that keep confirming what we've already concluded. In the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins." It's talking in the context there about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it says regarding Him, we have redemption through His blood. And He equates that redemption with forgiveness of sins. What does redemption mean? Well, we talked a little bit about being redeemed a few nights ago. And we learned that means to be bought. And the word that's translated redemption here is a word that carries the idea of being purchased, being bought. So the people that are bought by the blood, redeemed through His blood, are the people who have forgiveness of sins. And as we continue to think about this in the Scriptures, it just continues to harmonize. For example, in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19, "...knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We can't be redeemed by traditions, traditions that we've received from our ancestors any more than they could be by traditions they received from their ancestors. And that's the problem. A lot of people want to be redeemed, want to be saved by, well, that's what my parents believe. That's what my grandparents believe. That's what our family has always believed. That's what our people have always believed. And you know what? The traditions of our family or the traditions of a certain belief or way of life, human traditions will not redeem us. Only the precious blood of Christ will redeem us. We can't be saved by our own works, our own beliefs. Those things won't wash away what's wrong with us. We must have the precious blood of Christ in order to redeem us. I believe that. Don't you? That's what this passage says. Of course we believe that. And as we think about that in regards to what we're learning about the Lord's church, it all adds up. It furthermore connects with What the Bible says about the Lord's church when the Bible teaches that the church is the sanctified. Because those that are redeemed are those who have forgiveness of sins. Well, what about the sanctified? In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, the apostle Paul addressed the congregation at Corinth. He referred to them as the church of God, which is at Corinth. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, both theirs and ours. So here when he talked about the congregation there at Corinth, the church of God, he said that they were sanctified in Christ Jesus, that they were saints. Well, that's what that word sanctified means. It means a saint. The word saint means one who is sanctified, set apart. When you think about this being sanctified, recognize that this is the aim of the gospel call. We read about the church of God, which is at Corinth, those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We read that this body of Christ, that the Lord's church, that that's those that are bought by the blood, redeemed, which means they have forgiveness of sins. 
That's those who in Acts 2 gladly received Peter's message and were baptized and the Lord added them to his church. What did Peter promise to those that would obey his message? The message that the Spirit authorized him to teach. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Redeemed, sanctified, cleansed. You see how it's all fitting together? Well, it's fitting together perfectly. The Lord's church are those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, who've answered that gospel call. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say here? Well, he addressed the church at Rome in a way that is similar to how he addressed the church at Corinth. He referred to them as those who were called to be saints. They were called to sanctified, to be sanctified, excuse me. We understand that the gospel is a call to salvation. The Bible talks about being called by the gospel, whereunto he called you by our gospel, we read in the New Testament. So the gospel call to salvation is a call to become a saint, to become a sanctified one, to become one who is cleansed, one who's been purchased by the blood, set apart from the world and added to the saved. Now, how do we connect this with things that we've elsewhere learned about the church? In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, he said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So on the one hand, we have the idea of being called to be a saint, sanctified, set apart. And on the other hand, we have language that describes that call as being called out of darkness into light. So doesn't that suggest when we pair that with what else that we've learned that outside The body of the saved, there is darkness, there is sin. But inside, there is light. Is that in harmony with the idea of being sanctified, of being bought by the blood, of being saved? As you understand the the biblical imagery of light versus darkness, does the idea of light make you think about being sanctified, being right with God, being bought by the blood, being saved? As opposed to darkness with somebody who's not saved, who's not been bought by the blood, who's not been sanctified, who's not been set apart by the by God from the world and added to his son's church. That's all kind of fitting together, isn't it? And the more we look, the more we learn, the more it seems that the conclusion that we drew on Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 is correct and consistent with the remainder of what the Scripture teaches about the Lord's church. Now, when we were looking at this issue as it relates to how a person is added to the body, we stumbled on to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, and we, we, we saw, saw a connection going back to Acts 2 with those who were saved and added to the body with those who were baptized and added to the body because it's at that baptizing, you see, a baptism, you see, they become a part of the body there in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. Do we see any connection between... This gospel call and answering that gospel call and a person being baptized into Christ? Well, let's see what we learn. 
Let's go to the words of the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, where he said, The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God uh, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Here we read about in baptism a person having an answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, on the one hand, we've got somebody that's called by the gospel, and now we've got someone with the answer of a good conscience towards God. Is this in some way an answer to that gospel call? Actually, the word that's translated answer here uh, doesn't necessarily mean answer per se, but it means uh, the idea of calling out to God or requesting of God that our conscience be cleansed, as I understand the meaning of the term. So let's think of it like this. With the gospel call, we're called to be saints. God is calling us to be sanctified. With being baptized into Christ, we're calling back to God and asking Him to sanctify us. That sort of creates a two-lane road, doesn't it? Where God is calling to us and we're calling back to Him saying, Yes, I want to be saved. I want my conscience cleansed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we think about that in relationship to our diagram, it continues to add up with what else we've learned. Those who were saved were added to the Lord's church. Those who were baptized who were added to the Lord's church. That would suggest that those who are saved are those who are baptized. And that's exactly what 1 Peter 3 and 21 says. As he describes the baptism as being our call back to God that says, yes, I want to be sanctified. Yes, I want to be bought by the blood. Yes, I want to be cleansed. Yes, I want to be saved. It all adds up, doesn't it? It all makes sense. So we've learned that the church is the saved. We've learned that the church is blood bought. And we've learned that the church is the sanctified. Observe now also where we learn that the church is the reconciled. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, if you've got two parties that have a disagreement and they become aggravated at one another and separated from one another, and then you step in and you resolve that disagreement and everybody forgives everybody and hugs everybody and they decide to get back together and get along with one another, they have been reconciled. When somebody is reconciled, somebody is reunited with someone from whom they've been parted. That's what it means to be reconciled. As we think about that term in relationship to our salvation, our sin has offended our Creator, and it separated us from God and put strife between us, and it's our fault. But through the death of Christ, we can be reconciled to God. We can be reunited with Him. You see, the sin that, that caused the problem is taken away. It's washed in the blood of Christ. And, and then we can come back together with God. Now, as it relates to the Lord's church, where does this being reconciled happen? Well, when we look at Ephesians 2 and verse 16, it becomes pretty obvious. He speaks of the saving work of Christ when he said that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. In the context, he's discussed Jew and Gentile, separate from one another and separate, both separated from God by their sin. And he says that Christ takes the Jew and the Gentile and he reconciles them both to God. Where does that happen? 
Somebody said, well, you don't need to be in the church to be saved, be reconciled to God. That's not what he said. He said that he reconciled them both to God in one body. What is that body? We read earlier in Ephesians 1 that that body is the Lord's church. Remember that? So that would suggest that those who are among the saved, who are in the church, are the same as those who are among the reconciled, who are in that one body, the Lord's church that he promised to build in Matthew chapter 16. And that fits what we've learned in these other passages here. He might reconcile them both in one body. The Lord's body, the church, is the saved, the blood-bought, the sanctified, those who have been reconciled to God. That's very consistent with what these other passages teach. Romans 5 and verse 10 speaks of reconciliation when he said, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So you see, there is a connection with being reconciled and being saved because those two concepts are one and the same. And that continues this harmonious stream of thought about being in the Lord's church, being the saved, being the reconciled, because those are two synonymous ideas or concepts. But I want to ask you to notice, we're reconciled to God by the death of His Son. The church isn't the Savior. The Son is the Savior, but the church is the saved. It's those who have been reconciled to God. And so in that being reconciled by the death of His Son, we are saved by His life. This idea of being reconciled is very connected with the idea of being connected with Christ. Apparently, I can't be reconciled to God without being connected with His Son, without being saved by His life. And how do I find that connection? How can I get inside of Christ where it is by His life that I'm reconciled? The Scriptures tell us, an answer to that in Galatians 3 and 27 that harmonizes perfectly with what we've learned thus far. He said, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when we are baptized, we put on Christ and there we are with Him and by His life we can be reconciled, we can be saved and it's that same baptism that 1 Peter three twenty one says saves us. The same thing Peter told them to do in Acts 2 and 38, and those that gladly received his word did it, and the Lord added them to the saved, the Lord added them to the church. And so that's when they were saved, that's when they were sanctified, that's when they were bought by the blood, that's when they were cleansed from their sins. Just like Peter and the others promised in Acts 2 and verse 38. And it's all facilitated by the saving death of Jesus Christ. And it all perfectly harmonizes with all these other passages that we've read. The church is those who have Christ as their Savior. Christ is the Savior of the church. And that makes sense because we read earlier about the church being those that are in the light and those that are outside are in darkness. So Christ is the Savior of those that have that light, right? That that adds up. Ephesians 5.23 says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. This is another one of those passages that speaks of the church under two different terms, used interchangeably, the church, the body. 
Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. So the church or the body is those that have Christ as their Savior. <laughs> is He the Savior or, the, uh, uh, or, or the, uh, the, the purchaser with His blood of those who are outside the church or outside the body? Well, He offers it. He calls them by the gospel to be sanctified to become a part of those who've been set apart from the world and added by the Lord to His church. But in that condition outside of Christ, they're not yet saved. They could answer the call and become saved, but they're not yet saved. But for those who are a part of the body, He's their Savior. That's what this passage says. We go just a little bit further to Ephesians 5 and verse 25, where He said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That harmonizes with the idea of him purchasing the church with his blood. He gave himself for it. He's the savior of the body. It's in that one body that we're reconciled by his life. It all keeps adding up. Now let's look a little deeper. In Ephesians 5 and verse 27, continuing to describe this uh, concept of being in the Lord's church, he said, the aim of Christ's death He might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What imagery does it conjure in your mind to hear the church described as those that are holy and without blemish? Think about that. Does that sound anything like being sanctified? Sanctified means set apart, a saint. That's what the word holy means. We read earlier about those that were sanctified as those that are cleansed. There's a connection in those ideas. Does this sound like somebody who's been cleansed of their sins? Somebody who didn't have any spot, any wrinkle, or any such thing? Holy and without blemish? Let's take this back in our minds to where we started in Acts chapter 2. You had people standing in that audience who were quite blemished. For God had made that same Jesus that they had crucified, both Lord and Christ. Read it in Acts 2 and 37. They were guilty. They had guilt among whatever other sin they had. They had guilt of having a hand in the death of the Son of God. They had rejected the Savior. And Peter, by inspiration of the Spirit, announced to them their guilt. I said, check that in Acts 2 and 37. Check that in Acts 2 and 36, because that's the verse that has that statement. So they were spotted. They were, in a spiritual sense, wrinkled. They were not holy. They had blemish. And in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They wanted to know what to do to remedy their sin. They knew they were spiritually dirty before God. And they wanted to be spiritually clean. So Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
So he told them that if they would repent and be baptized, their sins would be remitted. They would be cleansed. They would be washed away. They would no longer be spotted and wrinkled and blemished. But now they would not have spot. They would have no wrinkle. They would be holy and without blemish. They would be cleansed. And verse 41 says, those that gladly received the word were baptized. And the Lord added unto them about 3,000 souls. And later on, the Lord added to the church daily those that were saved. So they became a part of the Lord's church. Now they're no longer stained by the sin of crucifying the Son of God. Now they're a part of the Lord's church. (laughs) They've answered the gospel call. They've called back to God seeking salvation, seeking cleansing. When they were baptized into Christ because they gladly received his word. And thus connecting with Christ, they become a part of the saved. They become a part of the body. They become blood bought. They become sanctified. Now, because they're a part of the Lord's church, they have no spot. They're holy and without blemish. You see how that all lines up together and adds up together? This portrays the church as those who have had their sins washed away. We read about the washing away of sins a little bit later on. But think about this idea of being cleansed and being in the Lord's church. And then carry that to this notion of having your sins washed away. We read about it in the book of Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Here Ananias told Saul of Tarsus that... When he was baptized, his sins would be washed away. He would be cleansed. He would be without blemish. He would be without spot. He would be without wrinkle. He would be holy. He would be set apart by the Lord from his sin, from darkness, and added by the Lord to his church, placed into the light of Christ, reconciled to God inside the body. And when we take that notion back to the diagram, it all makes perfect sense. And it all adds up with everything else that we've learned from this point backwards to the beginning of our study. Why would you leave something like this? Why would you say it's not important to be a part of the Lord's church? Why would you walk away from that and not want to be among the saved, the blood-bought, the sanctified, the reconciled, the cleansed? Why would a person at one point be a part of that and then walk away and stop going and stop serving and stop worshiping? When you've got such a great blessing and a great opportunity to be a part of such a great institution that the Lord has built and bought and paid for with His blood, Why on earth leave it? That's a good question. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, he said, You're come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and of the spirits of just men made perfect. When you're a part of the church of the firstborn, Jesus Christ, You're a part of those who have your name written in heaven. Don't let it be blotted out. Don't walk away from such a blessed institution as the blood-bought institution of the Lord's church. 
If you're here tonight, as you think about these facts about the Lord's church, I hope you're examining your own life and asking yourself, am I a part of that church? And if you've never answered the gospel call and never obeyed the gospel call and you're therefore not a part of the Lord's church but you want to be saved tonight, he'll add you to this church. You can do what they did in Acts 2 and obey that same gospel and be saved. Or if you are a Christian and you once obeyed the gospel but you have left the Lord's church and you want to come back tonight, we want to help you with that. Why would you want to be anywhere else but inside the body wherein there's reconciliation? Let us help you come back to the Lord tonight. If we can help you in either way, either in obeying the gospel or if you once did and you wish to return, we want to help you. Please come, have a seat on the front pew while we stand and while we sing.